Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. Thank you. I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you this evening. And um, I, I don't know about you, but Christmas music is on full swing all the time at my house. Uh, certainly, it is in my office all day long. And there's one song that I just has stuck out to me this year in a way that it never has before. Do you know the song "Christmas Time Is Here"? It was that song that was written for the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and it it goes, Christmas time is here, right? Come on, time for, come on, come on, you all know, happiness and cheer, right? So here's my problem. It stuck out because there's such a disconnect for me between the music and the words, right? Happiness and cheer, it's like, are you trying to convince yourselves? Like, it's just, like, and I love that song. I have forever, and I love the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but for some reason, this year, I've just been like, what? I don't actually get it. And then it just, what stood out to me so much was, I feel like that actually describes, for many of us, the Christmas season. Right? There's the, we're saying with our words, yes, this is the most wonderful time of year. Yes, I love everything about it. It's fantastic. And yet, on the inside, we're like, hmm, I just want to get through this. I just want it to be over. I just want to get to the other side. How much are we spending? What are we doing? Do I have to buy another gift? Is, you know, it's just there's this disconnect so often between the outward and the inward in this season. And that's really why we're in this series this series that we're in in Advent right now that we're calling Abundance, or Much Abundance in a Time of Scarcity. Because so often we do feel on the inside like there's not a whole lot to offer, and so Christmas we often are trying to fill that void up with all sorts of things, trying to squeeze every possible bit out of this season and hope that it will last, and the reality is we, we find that it doesn't last. And so we're trying to lean in this season to what is it that we can be filled with and can we be filled to a point of abundance so that we don't just get through this season and, you know, put on the outward face but have that song playing on the inside, but that we can actually embrace with a fullness and abundance the season of Christmas and well, well beyond that I think God intends for us. And so that's what we're moving into in this series. Last week we talked about the the abundance of hope that is available for us in the good news that God has for us. And so if you missed that, if you're at a place where you feel like you have a scarcity of hope, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today we're going to jump into the the questions of faith. And as we jump into this story, I, I wonder for you if you've ever had the experience of trying to teach a loved one a new sport activity or something like that. My, my wonderful wife, before we were married, graciously said that she would go golfing with my dad and my stepmom and I. She had never, ever been golfing before. And so, of course, I thought it would be really helpful for me to teach her how to do that. And I was wrong. 
Um, She was an amazing sport about it, but uh, it's hard, right? It's hard to teach these things. It's hard to learn some of these things from people close to us. That's why they have professionals that give lessons, right? And it's hard sometimes because we know each other so well. It's hard sometimes because we pick on each other's tendencies. It's hard because we just are impatient with one another. And it's hard to put our trust in the other person that they actually are an a good enough expert that they can help us. And maybe it's hard just because we struggle when we try something new. So we're going to jump in tonight with that kind of thought, that story in the background, because that experience is in the background of this encounter that we find with Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. And if you want, you can follow along on the screen if you'd like, but listen for God's word for us this evening. Coming to his hometown, this is Jesus, He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did did this man get all these things? And they took offense at it. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And let's pray as we move into this together. Father, thank you so much for this chance to gather together with a confidence that you've promised to be with us, that your spirit is moving among us. And so we're grateful for that. In this moment, will you help focus our minds, focus our hearts, focus our souls, focus our bodies in a way that we can receive what you have for us tonight. God, I'm confident that you have a word for each and every one of us, no matter what we're walking through. So may you give us the ability to hear it, to receive it, and to stand on it firmly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you can probably see how this played out, right? That Jesus went to his hometown. He went to where he was known. He went to where all of his, it wasn't, It wasn't church school, but all of his synagogue school teachers were. The ones that knew him and changed his diapers, right? He went, and he went into the synagogue, and he started teaching them. And he started teaching them all sorts of things. He started teaching them primarily what the kingdom of God is like. He started teaching them that the kingdom of God is like a man who found a buried treasure of incredible worth in a field, and he went and sold everything that he owned in order to just buy that field because he, that treasure was so valuable. He's saying, man, the, treasure, the kingdom of God is the most precious, valuable thing you could possibly get. Sell everything else you can to come and be a part of it. He's teaching them about the values of the kingdom of God where God really turns upside down the values of the world, defining who's in and who's out. It's not the good and the upright. It's not who you think. It's not the people in power. It's those who are, on, are marginalized, who are the outcasts, who are the downtrodden, who are the weak, the depressed. Those are the ones who are favored by God. He's flipping the values of religion, saying, yeah, it's not about your outward displays of perfection, which, by the way, you're not. It's about your inward heart being transformed, pure from the inside out. It's not about you being able to be good enough and keeping the rules well enough to make God love you and accept you. 
As a matter of fact, he says, I tell you this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be more perfect than the most perfect people that are walking around, and so really there's not a whole lot of hope for you because there's really no hope for them. So it's not about being good enough and keeping the rules well enough anymore. He's teaching them that he is the son of man, and in doing so, he's teaching them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I mean, this is incredible stuff that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and the people are appropriately amazed because he had so much more to say. Where did this, where did this man get this wisdom Oh, and these miraculous powers. They'd been hearing about his healings, his ability to cast out demons. He had been traveling around on his way to his hometown. The word had gone ahead of him that he was doing incredible things, that people were being set free from ailments that they had been, they'd had for their entire lives. Where did he get this wisdom and this power? I mean, these questions, I, I think, display a, a genuine curiosity a wonder, an awe that goes with, goes with whenever we, kind of, we see things, we experience things that we just know there's no way we are capable of. Right? Anytime you know, I, I watch you know, a football game and I just say, there's, there's things happening I could never possibly do. Anytime I, I go to the, to the concert, the Christmas concert, and I hear the, the incredible orchestra and the, the choir singing, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I can't do it. But it's beautiful and it's wonderful. They had awe at Jesus, but so quickly their questions begin to shift from these questions of awe and curiosity to these other kinds of questions. Well, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Like, you remember Mary's story. Remember how he came? A little scandalous. Are his brothers here? Aren't his sisters around? I mean, we know all of them. Hmm. So where did he get this? See, these questions of curiosity and awe started to break down as they considered it more and more. As they tried to wrap their minds around it, as they tried to understand it on their terms, those questions became more and more frustrating, more and more challenging, and they increased in their minds to the point that they weren't denying the wisdom and the power, but they were offended at him. The messenger was the problem. They weren't going to put their trust in the things that he taught and certainly not in the person that was teaching them because, you know, that's just little Jesus. You remember him? Remember him? You remember when he was 12? He, could, he, didn't, he didn't even stay with everybody else. He got lost back in Jerusalem. He ran, he's a runaway. Remember little Jesus? Right? And they're offended at him. And, and what we find at the end of this is this conclusion that Matthew shares with us that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Now, it doesn't say he couldn't do many miracles. It says he didn't do many miracles because of their lack of faith. As a matter of fact, I think he was quite capable. He could have done many miracles still. And yet, he doesn't in this case. 
Now, and, and if you're not sure, there were other places, other times in Jesus' ministry where he didn't respond to people's faith by doing miracles. There were times where people weren't even asking for something good to happen in their life, and Jesus just shows up, and he does the healing anyway. As a matter of fact, just one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 12, we're told a story of Jesus going into another town, into another synagogue. There's a man there whose hand is withered that he can't, he can't use. And Jesus asks all, all of these religious people who are standing around, and he says, hey, what's right to do on the Sabbath? Is it good to heal or to not heal on the Sabbath? And, and you know, they, of course, are confused because that's usually the response to Jesus. And, and Jesus says, hey, I just want you to know how much more valuable humans are to God than sheep. I want you to know because, you know, if a sheep got hurt on the Sabbath, you'd try to bind it up, you'd try to help it. But I want you to know God loves humans way more than even sheep. And here's how I'll prove it. Because on this day, on this Sabbath day, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was healed. That man wasn't saying, Jesus, heal me. Come on, if you can do it, please. I believe, I've got faith, I trust you. Yes, do it. No. He was just there observing this encounter, and suddenly Jesus singles him out and says, all right, stretch your hand out. Me? He didn't need the man's faith to heal him. He didn't need the people's faith in his hometown to bring healing to them. And yet, what we're told is he did not do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. In other words, he chose not to. That God chose not to have demonstrations of his miraculous power in his hometown. And I think it's because what we find here, he's trying to highlight, though, how important faith really is. Because a scarcity of faith in our lives leads to barrenness and devastation. It leads to a hardness of heart. Leads to a rugged independence. It leads to a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. It leads to ultimately a rejection of him, which is ultimately a rejection of life itself. It was because of their lack of faith, and faith's too important. Faith, what is faith? That's a good churchy word, isn't it? Faith. Hebrews 11 gives us a a great definition most clear, perhaps, single definition in the Bible, chapter 11, verse 1 of of Hebrews says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith takes hope and makes it concrete. It puts it into action. It's sure of what we hope for. Last week, we talked about hope. We talked about the nature of hope, a hope for a future, a hope that things are going to get better, a hope that things are going to work out, a hope that we'll be safe, we'll be secure, whatever it is, the hope. But at the heart of it, hope is generally uncertain. Though last week we argued that Christian hope is not uncertain, it is absolutely certain. And faith then is what takes that Christian hope, that certain hope, and puts it into action and says, yes, this hope is a reality for me. I trust it. I believe it. I'm living by it even though I can't see the things that I'm hoping for, that I'm trusting in, that I'm believing. You know, none of the people that got healed by Jesus, none of the people that had a a demon cast out, none of those who experienced this miraculous power of Jesus saw it happening before they 
experienced it. They hoped for it. And maybe they had seen it happen in somebody else, and so it gave them some evidence that helped encourage their faith, but they were still having to put their faith in something that was uncertain that they were longing for. They're saying, Jesus, you can do it. I trust, I have faith that you can. And in this encounter, these people who know Jesus apparently too well, or at least think they do, they want to fit him in their little box of understanding, and this is outside of that box. It defies their expectations, and so they're not going to put their trust in him, that he can actually do the things that they can't see, but they long for. See, faith, having faith, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I was thinking about this this week. Faith, having faith is a very vulnerable experience. It opens you up to all sorts of things. Actually, it comes out in, in the movie The Polar Express. You know, if, you, if that's on your you know, Christmas favorites list, but it, I mean, every year in our house, we gotta, gotta watch that one. And if you're not familiar with it, it's about a, a boy who's struggling with Christmas, particularly, he, he's, he's just struggling and doubting Santa and just wondering. He's asking all, all the, the questions that come when you get to that certain age. He's asking those questions of, of how is it possible that Santa gets to everyone's house? What, I mean, how could he have presents for all of those children? How can anyone actually survive life at the North Pole? There is no life at the North Pole, Right? And so he's asking these questions, and, the, and then suddenly, five minutes to midnight, Christmas Eve, this magical train rolls up to his house, and, and it takes him and, and some other kids to the North Pole, and at one point along their train ride going to the North Pole, this boy ends up outside on top of the icy train with the wind and the snow blowing, and if you're not familiar with it, you're just going to have to go figure out why. I won't, I'm not going to tell all of that part, but when he's out there, he encounters this apparition, this, this ghost that looks like a, a wanderer that jumped the train. And they, they have this conversation, and they're talking, and eventually the, the man asks him, what exactly is your persuasion, you know, about the big man, since you brought him up? And the boy's response, is says, well, I, I want to believe That's so often the story of faith. I want to believe, but it's in the but. It's in that, that hesitation is where the vulnerability lives. I want to believe, but, and then he interrupts him and says, but you don't want to be bamboozled, right? You don't want to be led down the primrose path. You don't want to be conned or duped, have the wool pulled over your eyes, hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride, railroaded. Am I right? And see, that's what faith opens us up to. It opens us up to being taken advantage of, to being found wanting, to being you know, embarrassed by what we've actually put our faith in. It's vulnerable. Because we don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to put ourselves out there, get out on that limb and find that, oh man, it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, we, it could, it's too good to be true. Now, Jesus, Jesus, you're offering healing Man, but I've been dealing with this for a long time. Comfort, strength, peace. You're going to give me joy. You're going to, forgiveness. Do you know, do you know what I've done? Wow, it's too good to be true. Couldn't be. I'd be, I'd be a fool 
to believe, to put my faith in you. For those things, for free, at no cost, no, 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 if you're ever going to get any of those kinds of things, those good things, in, you've got to earn those. You've got to do it right. You've got to be you know, living on the right path because you can't, just, you can't just receive those for nothing. No. And faith, faith requires us to give up our expectations and control by its definition, Right? We, we so often want control, and so we make the plan for our lives. We decide how the path is going to get from here to where we want to be, and we've determined what we expect the outcomes of certain situations, and sometimes that means we'll actually choose a situation that's not really good for us rather than the possibility that by faith we could move into something that could be even better. Because it's unseen, it's uncertain, I hope for it, but rather than put my faith in it, rather than step into something new and put it into action, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to settle for what I know. Rather than faith requires me to give up what I think I know, what I think I understand, what I think I can control for the possibility that something else could happen. And here it's not just a possibility of something, of anything and not just putting my faith in, in the, the, the thing itself, it's to put it into a person. And that's vulnerable because we've been burned, haven't we? I mean, you've, you've been burned by people that you've trusted that way, that you, that you have, you, you've slid all your chips into the, into the, on the table with them, and they took advantage. And Jesus is saying, man, trust me. Put your faith in me, that I am who I say I am, that I can do what I say I can do, that the things you've heard that I've done in the past, I can, in fact, do in your life here and now. Trust me. That's at the heart of faith, and it's vulnerable because we don't want to get burned. And see, for many of us, if you've been around churches for a long time, you know a lot of these things, right? You, you know the stories. You know Jesus' story. I mean, you know the healing. You know how he fed 5,000 people with just a couple of, uh, of fish and lo- uh, loaves of bread. You, you know the incredible things. You know he walked on water. Most people know that. You, you know. We know the story, But to know is not to have faith. There's a huge difference. And for for some of us, we've lived for a very long time knowing that Jesus was the possible path to to forgiveness, knowing that Jesus was the possible path to clearing, clearing the angst that we carry within us. We knew, we know in our minds so much. For many of us, more and more knowledge showing up week after week to fill our heads with more of the story and more information is not what we need. We need to put faith with that information because faith puts it into action. Faith says, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to live according to these truths, enough so that I'm going to risk the vulnerability, the embarrassment of stepping out. 
I was reading a, an article this week by a, a guy named J.V. Fesco. It was, it was about saving faith. It was about faith and, and saving faith. The saving faith where, where we receive the fullness of salvation from Jesus Christ. The fullness which includes forgiveness and reconciliation with God and healing of all things. It's the, it's this, the fullness of saving faith. And, and, and saving faith, he says, you got to know, yeah, you have to know the facts. You have to understand the facts, but, but you got to live by them. you got to put them into action. He actually compares it to, to going to an airport. You can go to the airport, right? You're planning to go on a trip. You're going on vacation. You can go to the airport, and you can recognize the fact that, yes, right there on the runway, there is, in fact, a plane. Look at that. And, and you can even acknowledge the fact that that plane has taken flights previously, and that the pilot who's going to fly that plane has, in fact, flown other flights successfully. And you can even acknowledge that, okay, according to the principles of aeronautics, that, yes, when air rushes over a curved surface, it does, in fact, create lift. And so the faster it goes, the more air, the more lift. You can know those things in your head. You can have this incredible knowledge. But knowing those things, you haven't gone anywhere, have you? Knowing those things and having faith in those things are very different. Because you have to trust the airplane, you have to trust the pilot, you have to actually get on board, take your seat, and go for the ride. That's what faith looks like. You've got to put it into action. Get on board, go for the ride. And that's the invitation Jesus is saying, come on. Stop trusting. Stop trusting in yourself and your understanding. Stop trusting in other people and the, and the world around you. Stop trusting in, in all of those other things. Come trust in me. Go for the ride. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know if you've put your faith in Jesus? I think there's a number of ways, but you can, you can start to kind of think about these things and assess in your own life if, you, if you've wanted to put your faith in Jesus and you're still wondering, man, am I, really, am I really on the ride or not? And I think the first is just that you're no longer trying to decide for yourself what makes sense in, for your life. You're no longer determining all of the plans. You're no longer determining what's good and what's bad. You're no longer deciding what is important. You're no longer prioritizing how you're going to use your time, how you're going to spend your money. You're no longer just making those decisions on your own based on what you want to do, what feels good, what makes you happy. But instead, you're bringing all of it and you're saying, okay, Jesus, what do you say about these things? What's, how does it, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God with the way I live my life? It's allowing him to teach you those values and then to live into them. And so for him to teach you the values of relationships, of who you'll be in relationship with and how you will interact in those relationships, it allows, it's allowing Jesus to be the one to shape your gift giving at Christmas time. It's having Jesus be the one that shapes the way you think and look and interact with your family, even the ones, especially maybe the ones that are really challenging to get along with. It's Jesus allowing to shape your ethics, your your values, how you use your body, how you use your time, how you use everything that he's given, you actually are consciously seeking him out to learn from him. Where does he get this wisdom? And it's wanting to know it. 
and then to step into it intentionally is to put faith in Jesus. I think it's, it's also looking to others less for, as your source of security, stability, comfort, happiness. It's not bad that people in your life make you happy. That's all good. And people are an incredible gift of God. But when we put people in a place where without them or without their approval, without their affirmation, without something from them, then suddenly I become unstable, I become insecure, I become you know, weak and I crumble, then we've put people into the place that Jesus is saying, stop trusting them, trust me. Don't trust them as the one that's going to give you your value, your worth, and your affirmation. No, come to me. I'll show you what your value and worth and affirmation is. I love you so much that I, I give my life for you. Nobody can take that away from you. But people are so fickle. It's what's crazy making about people. Even people that you care about deeply. Because someday, even if they've been so good and so wonderful and so faithful throughout all the days of your life, someday you'll be separated from them because of the inevitability of death. And so if life is built, if we've put faith in that person as the one who's going to make life happen for me, then man, you're going to have a scarcity at some point. But Jesus is saying, come on, there's an abundance when you put your faith in me. How do you know you, if you put your faith in Jesus? I think another way is that I think you'll find that life is less anxious. It's less anxious because if we put our faith in Jesus, we're saying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, that you're ultimately going to carve the path for me, that you're going to provide for me, that you're going to protect me, that you're going to solve the problems, that if you lead me into something difficult and painful and challenging, that you've done it because you have something to teach me, you want to shape me, it's for my good. And so instead of anxiously having to ferociously figure out how we can orchestrate all the details of our lives, spin all the plates, be in control, make all the things happen, we can finally let it go and say, Jesus, I don't have to spin all the plates anymore. You're the one holding the entirety of the universe in the palm of your hand, so you can spin the stars, you can spin the details of my life. And man, what a freeing place to no longer have to spin the stars of the universe. But to let Jesus take care of it for you. To let him decide for you the path that you'll be on. I think you'll know if you're living in, in the faith with Jesus, because man, there's no room for arrogance for those who are living by faith. Those who are living by faith. See, sometimes Christians think that living by faith means, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it better than everybody else. I'm living, I've got the rules, I'm following them, I'm a moral person, I'm a good and upright person. Man, thank God I'm not like all of those other people who aren't doing it. Yeah, but that's not faith in Jesus. That's not putting our faith in him to say what our value and our worth is. That's putting our faith in ourselves. We're saying, yes, I'm keeping all the rules. That's what makes me good. You're not. That's what makes you bad. And so when we're putting our faith in Jesus, we're saying, you know what? Man, I am, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm trying to have Jesus determine the path for my life, decide what's right and wrong and good and bad for me, but you know what? He's telling me what's good and I keep doing what's bad. And even though I'm trying as hard as I can, I don't seem to be making the progress that he's inviting me into. And so there is an absolute humility when we by faith recognize, no, I'm not, I'm not faith in myself. It's faith in Jesus that I, I know I am not more righteous than the Pharisees. 
I'm not more righteous than anybody. And there is a humility associated with faith, but man, here's the other sign of faith in Jesus, is there is a depth of security that cannot be taken from you. It's not humiliation, it's humility, and it's security. It's security because though I have failed, he is a source of forgiveness, he is the source of reconciliation, he's the source uh, of putting me back on the right track, he's the source uh, of what, what God, when he looks at me, He looks and he sees the beauty, the goodness, the righteousness of Jesus, and he says, yes, I love you just like that. In his goodness and his righteousness, it's not mine. And there is a humility and there is a security that cannot be taken away. And when we're filled with that faith, man, it changes everything. It changes everything, every, every encounter in our lives, every challenge, every problem, every frustration, every hurt. Because we're saying, yes, I, tr- I trust that you're gonna take this and use it for your good. There's a story in the, in the book of Daniel. It's an Old Testament prophet, Daniel was, and you know, lived, lived you know, about 800 plus or minus years before Jesus. And, In this book, though, there's there's a story of these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys are filled with faith. And you may may know this story because it is just a great Sunday school story. But we don't always tell it quite the way that it comes out. Because these guys put their faith in God. They say, you know what? No, you're not the one that determines my worth because they were being asked to worship this idol. In other words, to say, this idol, this God, this king, this is my source of security, of protection, of hope. And they say, you know what? No, God, is, God alone is my source of security, of protection, of hope. That's putting faith into action. And so the king says, hey, if you won't bow down, then guess what? You're going to be thrown into this raging hot furnace. And they're like, cool, it's fine because you're not the source of our security and our protection. God can protect us. Throw us in the fire. God can protect us. But here's the part that we don't always tell because they say he can protect us, but if he does not, not we will not worship this other god we will trust that even if he does not protect us in death itself that it is for our good it is for his glory that he is doing something we are trusting that no matter what happens in the day in and day out circumstance, as challenging, as painful, as hard as it can be, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're saying he's going to work it out for good. And it frees us from the angst and the anxiety and the fear that is so overwhelming for so many of us. And then we're free. We're free to love God well. We're free to love other people without needing anything back from them because they're not our source of security or affirmation. We can love without condition, no strings attached. That's what it looks like to live with an abundance of faith. And it changes everything. And so for you, for me, this Christmas, where's your faith? What are you really trusting in when push comes to shove? Because the invitation is to come to trust Jesus. As much as you may think, just like his own hometown, that you knew him, that you knew what he was about, the invitation is to come to know him anew and discover for yourself what he's going to do in your life. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we see in this encounter so many of our own tendencies, our own desires to, to understand, to have control, to protect ourselves and to not, not risk, and yet, Lord, we hear, we see this invitation to step out, to take the risk, to put our trust no longer in ourselves, but to put it in you and you alone. And Lord, tonight, may that invitation pierce our minds to our hearts and our souls. That we could receive the invitation to know that the invitation is to come to you, Jesus, who, who gave up your own life for us, who came at Christmas as Emmanuel, knowing that you were gonna die in our place. Lord, may we have faith in, in him, in Jesus, as the source of our forgiveness, our affirmation, our security, our life. And Lord, if there are any here tonight who are joining us online that have not put faith and trust in Jesus, but are hearing you call. In this moment, you can, you can just, in the quiet of your own heart, your own mind before God, you can just pray this. Heavenly Father, I don't want to trust in myself anymore. I don't want to trust in anyone else. But I want to trust in Jesus Christ as the source of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.